Kenneth Osbeck has pointed out that the song that is our theme song today, What a Friend We Have in Jesus, has not been noted as a particularly great piece of literary writing. But it's the simple truths of this song, simply stated, that have brought comfort to countless numbers of God's people since it was first written in 1857. Missionaries have often said this is the first song, one of the first songs taught to their converts because its simplicity is its strength. What a Friend We Have in Jesus was written by Joseph Scriven who was born in 1819 in Dublin, Ireland. He was born to prosperous parents. And at the age of 25, he left Ireland to go to Canada, basically for two reasons. The first, he had become affiliated with the Plymouth Brethren, uh, a group that uh, influence alienated him from his parents. And then he left because he had a, a, a tragedy. Uh, his fiancée, accidentally was drowned the night before their scheduled wedding, and he needed to leave too many memories. But from that time, Scriven's life took a change, a rather dramatic change. He decided to start taking the Sermon on the Mount as literally as possible. So much so, he gave freely of his possessions to the point of even sharing his clothing off of his own body if it were necessary. He worked tirelessly bringing help to the widows and sick folk of Port Hope, Ontario, because they couldn't afford any other help. Ira Sankey was a singer and composer of gospel music. He was often affiliated with D.L. Moody, kind of like George Beverly Shea and Billy Graham. And, and Sankey told a story in one of his writings about a man seeing Scriven walking through the city of the town of Port Hope carrying a sawhorse and a saw. And he's so impressed by that industry, he said, he said, who is that man? I want him to come work for me. The reply was, you cannot get that man. He only saws wood for poor folks, widows, and sick people who cannot pay. Because of the manner of life that he chose, Scriven was greatly respected in the community, but those who knew him felt him a little bit eccentric because people don't act like that. It's very different. Now, the hymn that is our song today, What a Friend We Have in Jesus, and thank you, you choir, for such a beautiful job. Uh, it was never meant for publication. Unable to be with his mother during a time that she grew very ill, he wrote a letter to her containing the words of this text. It was a poem he had written. It's, the title of the poem itself was Pray Without Ceasing. Sometime later, when he himself was ill, a friend came by and visiting him, and there on the table beside his bed was the piece of paper where he had scratched out the notes. The friend read the, them and asked him, Did you write this? And Scriven rather modestly said, The Lord and I did it between us. Now, in 1869, a small book, a collection of Scriven's poems was published, and it was simply titled, Hymns and Other Verses. After his death, again a terrible accident, 
the people of Port Hope, so moved by this man, erected a monument in his honor on the Port Hope-Petersboro Highway, which runs from Lake Ontario. On that monument is the text of the hymn, What a Friend We Have in Jesus, and these words. Four miles north in Bengali Cemetery lies the philanthropist and author of this great masterpiece, written at Port Hope. 1857. Now, except for the people in Port Hope, this song may not ever have become what it became except for Ira Sankey. He discovered the hymn in 1875, just in time to include it in his well-known collection, Sankey's Gospel Hymns Number 1. And later, Ira Sankey wrote, the last hymn which went into the book, became one of the first in favor. This is a beautifully loved song, and it's wonderful. It speaks of the true friendship of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, there are two passages of Scripture that stand out today focusing on the idea of Christ's friendship. One is in the book of Proverbs, and one is in the book of John. So we're going to take a look at the text. We think about this idea, what a friend we have in Jesus. We're going to discover, along with Scriven, what an incredible friend we have. And so we'll begin with Proverbs 18.24. Would you rise? I'm reading out of the 2011 NIV today, uh, primarily for the translation of our first verse. And it reads... One who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin. But there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And then in John 15, 12 and 13, Jesus, talking to his disciples, said, My command is this, Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friend. Bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. These truths are powerful, they're meaningful, they're rich, and they tie together in such a wonderful way to show us what we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to take a look at these. Now, we're not only going to talk about Jesus' friendship, we're going to talk about Proverbs 24 as it relates to us as well. And so we're going to look, first of all, at the first half of Proverbs 18. And it lets us know we can find plenty of friends who are not faithful. That's just the reality. The original text of this language, beginning in verse 24, is a little tough to get into an interpretation. The text reads, A man of friends is to be shattered. That's not terribly encouraging, is it? A man of friends is to be shattered. And William MacDonald has noted that the proverb, as a result, has caused a lot of different interpretations. If you follow the King James Version and the New King James Version, the only two who treat it this way, because they are based on a completely different Greek manuscript, point out an idea of closeness, and the translation there reads, a man who has friends must himself 
be friendly. Well, with a manuscript that says the man of friends is shattered, that doesn't quite fit. Most modern translations built on a different manuscript look much differently. Now, the New American Standard uh, translates it in such a way that says a man who has too many friends will come to ruin. That's why he'll be shattered. He's got too many folks. Uh, the, the, the reality is we have uh, a, a problem in our world. Uh, and you don't need to go any further than Facebook. I'm not exactly sure why Facebook chose to all those people that we get on Facebook, we call them friends. And there are some folks, I don't know. Not really, I mean, they're acquaintances, but to use the word friend is a little, well, the reality is, Nasby says, if you have too many, you're going to be in problem, trouble. The RSV reads, there are friends who pretend to be friends. And then the 2011 NIV tends to agree. One who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin. And I believe that this is the best interpretation. Now, Graham Goldsworthy, looking at the text, has said, the Hebrew is really hard, but you can get the thrust of what's being said because it's a contrast between two different kinds of friends. Ones who are bad and ones who are good. So we're going to take a look at that. And with that in mind, we understand that Solomon understood the truth that this world was full of fair-weather friends. And most of you are old enough in this room, you have encountered fair-weather friends. Probably more than you want. Christian Bovius pointed out false friends are like a shadow keeping close to us while we walk in the sunshine, but leaving us when we cross into the shade. Now, so, so the text, the first part of Proverbs 18, gives a warning. Be careful when it comes to gathering friends. Be sure that you bring into your life the people who will be true, the people who will stand by you. Don't go for the quick friendship that really is not friendship. The story of the prodigal son, I believe, echoes this truth. When he's off in the far country, living riotously, spending all of the money from his inheritance, he had a lot of friends, I'm sure. But when the famine hit the land and the money ran out, there wasn't anybody to help him. Nobody came to his aid. And in the parable, he winds up working for a pig farmer and looking at the pig slop and thinking, that looks kind of good. Now this parable takes on a whole other significance when you remember a Jewish Messiah is talking to a Jewish group about a Jewish boy who's now feeding pigs. And pigs are unclean. This is about as far as he could have fallen. And that's what we see here. And we need to understand there are people when the sun is shining in our lives, they want to be with us. But the moment the pain hits, they're gone. Folks, let's face it. When times get hard, fair-weather friends tend to leave us behind. They don't stick around. And this thought is so clear, 
This is not a particularly Jewish way of looking or Christian way of looking. This, this thought is so clear. You can find pagans, people who have no faith in God at all, observing this truth. Titus Machius Plautus was a Roman playwright. And he said, according as men thrive, their friends are true. When things are going great. But if their affairs go to wreck, their friends sink with them. He says, fortune finds friends. Good times. A lot of folks around you. And then Plutarch, a Greek philosopher, said prosperity is no just scale. Adversity is the only balance to weigh friends. This is a tough statement, but I think there's truth here. When everything is good, you're not really sure how close your friends are. It's only when trouble comes that you find out the people who stick with you. And this is the thrust of this proverb. Plenty of friends. Now, you may be expecting, now at that point of application, how do we apply it? And you're probably thinking, Brother Danny's going to tell us, make sure you make good friends. And that's a good idea. We really should make good friends. But I want to point to one other proverb that suggests a different way of looking at this. It's Proverbs 27, verse 10. Do not forsake your friend or a friend of the family. Folks, when I look at this in relationship to us as Christians, we should guard our hearts against being such a friend. It is far too easy to be friends in the good times. When somebody gets, when, when somebody wins publisher clearinghouse or hits a lottery, really easy to be friends there. We need to be sure that the people in our lives that God has brought into our lives that we have bonded with, we need to be sure that we're friends in the bad times. So let us not make the mistake of being an unreliable friend. God help us never to be that kind of friend. And someone has said, and I wish I could give you a clue, but no one knows who originally made this statement. It is better to have one true friend than all the acquaintances in the world. I have said through much of my life, if you have five people in your life that you can count on, two o'clock in the morning you call and say, I'm in trouble, pray for me. And they won't hang up on you. If you have five friends you can truly count upon, you're rich. So with this in mind, let's consider the other side, the parallel side of this. When we find a friend who stands by us, we have found a rare treasure. The writer of Proverbs Solomon says, there is a friend who will stick closer than a brother. There is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. You see, Solomon knew that a friend who remained committed, a friend who sticks with you, could be closer than your own kin. In other words, that person who sticks with you through thick and thin, 
is truer to you than those who share your DNA. Now, the book of Proverbs actually has a lot to say about friends. The whole point of Proverbs, it's a very practical book, telling you how you can best live the, the godly life. And it has a lot about the kind of friends we should have. And I want to focus on the good friends. And let me just run through a few of the lists. Proverbs 13, 11, 13 lets us know a real friend can be trusted. A gossip betrays a confidence, but a trustworthy person keeps a secret. In other words, a true friend you can spill your heart to, and it's not going to be found on their Facebook page. And then we're told a real friend stays in the time of trouble. Proverbs 17, 17 says, A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born out of a time of adversity. Now catch this. That true friend will love you no matter what. And because of that love, they move even beyond friend to they now are your spiritual brother. They are the one who remains true. A real, a real friend loves enough to challenge a friend when they've gone wrong. Uh, I'm, not, I'm, I'm sure you've ha heard the phrase, fishing for compliments. When you're wearing polka dots and plaid and you ask your friend, does this look okay? You're wanting to say, yes, it's wonderful. A true friend does something different. Proverbs 27.6 Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. Again from Proverbs 27.17, a verse of scripture that gets quoted a lot that I don't think we completely think through as iron sharpens an iron, so one person sharpens another. And we said, when we're with people, we become better. Well, folks, if you have ever tried to sharpen anything metal, you know it's hard. This is not a pleasant process. If you're, if you're an axe, it's not pleasant to be put on a grindstone. And a true friend comes into my life and helps me get the rough areas out of my heart. And that can cause pain. And then again in chapter 27, a true friend's counsel will help. And we saw this in our responsive reading. Perfume and incense bring joy to the heart, and the pleasantness of a friend springs from their heartfelt advice. They're going to tell us what we need to hear. So when we find that kind of friend, when that kind of friend is in our lives, we can know this is the friend who will not desert us no matter what the cost. They will be with us forever. By our side. Even if they're hundreds of miles away, I have friends that I can call at any moment in time or text at any moment in time. They're a long way off. And I know I can share with them my heart and what's happening. And they will be praying for me faithful to me. Again, pagans understood this. Euripides wrote tragedies in the Greek language. All he ever wrote was tough stories. He said, friends, and I mean real friends, reserve nothing. The property of one belongs to another. James Hewitt shares an incredible story that grew out of World War I. During a, a time of fierce battle, a soldier came 
to his commander and asked if he could go out into no man's land. You know, that area between the two fighting forces. He said his buddy was out there. and He's wounded. I need to go get him. The commander said, well, you can go, but it's pointless. Your friend's already dead. If you go out there, you'll get killed too. The young man listened to what the man said, and then he went out into the field. Somehow he managed to reach his friend, threw him over his shoulder, and made his way back to the trenches. And there collapsed, both men falling to the bottom of the trench. At that moment, the commander's heart was softened. And he told him, I told you it wasn't worth it. Your friend is dead. And now you are mortally wounded. And the young man looked up in this weak moment and said, it was worth it, sir. How can it be worth it? Your friend is dead. Yes, sir. But it was worth it because when I got to him, he was still alive. And he said to me, Jim, I knew you'd come. That's the friend who stood closer than a brother. And we should all seek to be that friend. Now Christ has actually given us a a two-tiered call about our love. First of all, in John 13, 34, and 35, said, the new command I give you, love one another as I love you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you Love one another. But Jesus also once said, you know, if all you do is love the people who love you, that, you know, even pagans do that. So he gave another command as the second most important command love your neighbor as yourself. Now, folks, if we love people, if we love our brothers, our friends, like Christ loved the church, then then we're a friend. and We will not turn our back on them. And if we begin to understand our neighbor, who basically is anyone within our lives who needs our help, anyone near us, people created in the image of God, we are to love them. And if we do and we follow this command, we will become that friend that can be relied upon. But, even with this goal in mind, Lord, help me to become a friend that is closer than a brother. We're reminded by G. Campbell Morgan, a, a great preacher of the early 20th century, said, all consideration of this verse, great verse, leads us to last to one person, one place. He is the friend of sinners. There the comment ends, but our hearts wonder and worship. Because friends, Jesus is the greatest friend we will ever have. The greatest friend we will ever have. This Lord Jesus, he said, greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. Now keep in mind, he made that statement, this true statement, greater love has no person than this, you lay down your life 
for your friends. But Jesus defined the truest act of love after commanding his disciples to love one another as he loved them. So get this. What he is saying, you need to love each other the way I love you. How do I love you? I'm going to lay down my life for you. That's the kind of love you ought to have. So to point out, the most a person can do for his friend is to die for him. And that death would be the clear demonstration of love. This is a far from theoretical statement given by Jesus. Love each other like I have loved you and says, I'm going to lay down my life for you. And he did. He laid down his life for those he came to love and serve. But folks, he further demonstrated the power and the majesty and wonder of his love by committing himself to reaching out to those the world often rejected. Have you ever noticed, if you've read the Gospels, how many, and I'm using this phrase, I hope you understand, how many undesirable people wanted to flock around Jesus? They were not the right kind of folks. They were not fine, upstanding citizens. They weren't presidents of the synagogue, although some did. By and large, you have all kinds of people. So much so that Jesus said in Matthew eleven nineteen, his enemies call him a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And in the Jewish way, I thought that's combining all the worst people you can possibly be. Now, there's an old legend that says a man traveling uh, in a in a different country, fell into a bed of quicksand. Confucius walks by it and saw the man's predicament and said, it is evident that men should stay out of places such as this. Next Buddha comes by, observes and says, let that man's plight be a lesson to the rest of the world. Then Muhammad comes by and looks at the sinking man and he says, alas, it is the will of Allah. And then Jesus appeared. Take my hand, brother. I'll save you. But folks, Jesus even further demonstrated his commitment of love because he told the disciples as he's preparing them, I'm about to leave. And he gave them a promise. In John 14, 16, I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. And that word another means another one that's just the same. I'm going to send the Spirit to you. He's just like me. He will be with you. He will guide you. He will strengthen you. He will teach you. And he also told them, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. As he's getting ready to ascend, he reminds them, Lo, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus is the friend who sticks closer than a brother. Centuries ago, John Owen, a Puritan theologian, said, we are never nearer Christ than when we find ourselves lost in a holy amazement at his unspeakable love. If you give yourself just a few moments to realize this friend we have in Jesus loves you with a perfect love. It begins to change you. It begins to draw you. Folks, Jesus 
gave Himself for us. He laid down His life for you. He laid down His life for me. He literally died on our behalf that we could have life. But it's not only that. He gives Himself to us. He comes to us in the presence of His Spirit. He comes to us with the promise, I'm always with you. So not only does He lay down His life, He invests Himself into our lives. He binds our hearts to His. Great hymn. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the sin, the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss before contempt on all my pride. When I look at what He did for me, I can't help but love Him. What greater friend could we ever hope to find? We never will find one greater. And so, as we apply this, we should tell all who will hear the truth of the greatest friend they can ever know. Natalie shared a story about a friend who introduced her to another friend, and they became fast friends. Folks, that's our job. That's our calling. That is what we are meant to do. And Charles Spurgeon, known as the Prince of the Preachers in the 1800s in London, an incredibly uh, popular and powerful preacher. Get ready. I tell my folks in the discipleship class, I always give them a little bit of warning when I'm about to say something tough. Listen to what Spurgeon said. I think he's 100% right. You have never truly found Jesus if you do not tell others about Him. If we don't tell about the One who saved us, and I'm not saying every time you, have, you sit Him down for a 45-minute lecture, but I'm saying we are supposed to be telling. Jesus said, when the Spirit comes upon you, you will be my witnesses. And if I never tell anyone how I love Jesus, and folks, it's easy to do it in here, isn't it? out there in the world, people we come into contact every day, if we never point to Christ, something wrong in our relationship. But there's something else we need to understand here. It's not just about talking. The world will not listen to what we have to say if they don't see something in our lives. If they don't see some kind of evidence that they ought to listen to us. What do they need to see? My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. And men will know you're my disciples. William Hendrickson pointed out, when you look at these two verses together, we must continually love each other with the same kind of love Christ had. Now, obviously there are some things about Christ's love we cannot copy. First of all, His love is infinite. Christ never stops loving. And we fail there, don't we? And human beings, there are times we don't love the way God would want us to. His love is valuable because it put Him on the cross where He died in our place. His substitutionary atonement was based on His love 
and all of the redemptive consequences, the fact we are now children of God, we can call God Father, we have a home in heaven, we have a purpose in life, all of that comes through the act of love. And we can't do that. That was unique to Jesus Christ and Him alone. But there is something about His kind of love that we can do. When you hear, lay down your life for your friend, what that essentially means, folks, we deny ourselves. We love each other enough to put ourselves in the background, to reach out and love and sacrifice and do what we can to help the people we love become better in the Lord or come to know the Lord. We can deny ourselves. And there may come a time, there may literally come a time when we lay down our lives for a friend. But in the meantime, we must be willing to deny ourselves. And are we willing to do that? Are we willing to live this kind of life? To love Christ so much that that love exudes out of our life for the people around us. That we're willing to say, It doesn't have to be my way. I want my brothers and sisters in the Lord to to become greater. I need to let my will be put in the background as we seek together God's will. Am I willing to live that kind of life so that when I try to tell somebody of the love of Jesus, they don't look at me in the eye and say, you're a hypocrite. I see the way you treat people. Why should I believe Jesus loves when I have you as an example of what a Christian looks like? Why should I do that? Instead, I see in you the love of Jesus. I see in you a compassion. I see in you a desire for God's will to be done. John, in his epistle, 1 John, said, this is how we know what love is. 3.16. Got to do a study sometimes of the 3.16s of the Bible. 1 John 3.16. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. I need to be willing to put my friends and their needs above my own. So let's hear Christ's call to be friends who will stick closer than a brother. We have the great friend in Jesus Christ. And we need to show him to this world. Don Francisco. And this is a very prejudiced opinion, I will tell you. Don Francisco is one of the greatest Christian storytellers in song ever. Um, I encourage you to look him up on YouTube if you've never heard of him, but you've probably heard of He's Alive, Resurrection Hymn. i got to tell somebody uh, the story of uh, Jairus' daughter. He wrote one of the most beautiful statements. He is the, the one singing. He's singing as Christ. 
I know what you've been hearing. I've seen you hide your fear, embarrassed by your weaknesses, afraid to let me near. I wish you knew how much I long for you to understand. No matter what may happen, child, I'll never let go of your hand. I know you've been forsaken by all you've known before. When you failed their expectations, they frown and close the door. But even though your heart itself should lose the will to stand, no matter what may happen, child, I'll never let go of your hand. What a friend we truly have in Jesus. He sticks closer to us than a brother. He gives himself so that we could have life He's with us, never leaving us, never forsaking us. In that song, what a friend we have in Jesus. The one line that hurts to hear, do thy friends despise forsaking. Those are the friends who will leave you in the lurch. But the Christ who loves us, we can say, Lord, I'm hurting. And he will always be there. The world is dying to hear about that kind of friend. They're dying for the need to know that they are loved unconditionally. And we're the ones who can tell them. So we need to commit our hearts. Lord, let me learn what it means to follow you. Let me grow in my walk with you. Order my life so that I am the friend who is consistent in love. And when my life shines for you, let me tell. Let me tell. Let's tell the world. The greatest friend you will ever have is the Lord Jesus.